We are in Romans chapter 15, the first 13 verses of Romans chapter 15, which I have to say is just a real delightful passage of scripture. Not that they're all not delightful, but it just stands out to me as um, some very precious verses. I wanted to, before I read it, I wanted to highlight verse 5 of chapter 30, of chapter 15. Um, I found it really helpful when we were studying John to have that verse at the end of John which describes the reason why he wrote it. And we often revisited that verse and it kind of puts the whole thing into context. I wonder whether Romans 15 verse 5 is the kind of overarching reason why Paul wrote the, the letter to the Romans. And it's, um, it's, it's a prayer, uh, I believe, but it says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity amongst yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's just a brilliant summary of uh, a church. Let's remind ourselves it's a church made up of all sorts, I would say, a bit like our own church, um, but specifically a mixture of Jews who had converted to Christianity and non-Jews who had become Christians. And they're called together in the Church of God in Rome and they're serving together, but they don't get on. And that's the, the reason for Paul um, writing to them. And one of the reasons why we sense they don't get on is there's a kind of elitism going on. So the Jews still holding on, the Jews who have become Christians still holding on to their Jewish traditions and the elitism in terms of being God's chosen people. And you've got this tension between uh, the Jews in the church who were special because they were Jews and the um, Gentiles who were kind of not special <laughs> Um, and Paul was saying that um, we're all one in Christ and we're equal in Christ and the traditions that belong to the Jewish uh, culture um, had now been superseded by what Christ had done and we just get the, uh, the whole message captured in this verse 5 and it's about endurance it's about keeping going, it's about encouragement, it's about unity, it's about following Christ, it's about having one heart, that's a, speaking about the motivation of the church, having a, a certain uh, oneness about it, and one mouth, that's a, uh, the way our love and our worship is expressed, um, and the objective is to glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll come back to, to that last expression uh, in a second. But we said that the first 11 chapters of Romans are very much um, focused on Paul laying out a doctrine that supports the contention that there's no difference between Jew and Gentile in Christ. Um, and he talks about sin, law, and grace um, 
And that's laid out in a, a systematic theological um, thesis on sin, law, and grace. And it's the basis on which um, Paul is wanting to encourage this diversity in the church in Rome to, to come together in a united way. And we were saying in, at the beginning of chapter 12 that Paul now moves, it's a transition from that doctrinal focus um, towards the practical application of the doctrines. And it's really how that looks like in the behaviour of the members of the church. And we have in, in chapter 12, and that's from 12 to 16, it's the remainder of the book. We have in chapter 12 individuals that are sanctified by God's grace and they're no longer conforming to what the world expects, to worldly standards. But they're living for God and they're serving together and their service is characterised by love for God and love for each other. That's chapter 12. And then chapter 13, the practical outworking of salvation by grace through faith as seen in our behaviour or the people in the church's behaviour in the civil society. So they weren't to be kind of outsiders from the um, society, the, the Roman society that they lived in, but they were to be very clearly subject to the civil authorities that God had put in place paying taxes and, and all of that stuff. And they were also to be a testimony to outsiders. And then we get to chapter 14, um, which is really how to live alongside each other, recognising that there are differences in maturity, in Christian experience and maturity. And those differences require a certain tolerance um, and sensitivity to each other. If you haven't um, heard Giles's ministry last week, listen to it, because it really handles that topic very skillfully. And you get the sense that it's not, um, it's not that everybody's view counts, <laughs> because where there is uh, opposing views, they're not both true. There can only be one truth. But where there are um, different views, it's about um, having an attitude towards each other that results in the development of harmony. So as we mature um, in our Christian life, so we come to understand what is truth and what is error. But in the meantime, we um, are sensitive to each other's needs. And then we get to chapter 15, and it's about having a right attitude. Our title for the study is, is um, Right Attitudes of Mind and Trusting in the God of Hope. So let's read it. Let's read um, chapter 15 of Romans, verses 1 to 13. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. For each of us should please his neighbour for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity amongst yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth 
you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns in your name. Again it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, you his Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I actually have five points I'd like to make, and uh, I'm not going to give you them in advance this time. I'll just go through them one by one. The first point is really what maturity looks like. We were saying that there were, like in every church, it's inevitable, there will be different There'll be disciples of the Lord Jesus at different stages in the discipleship journey. That means different levels of maturity, different levels of understanding. And really, maturity um, brings with it a, a sensitivity to those differences. Go to verse 1. Go back to verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. And we get from chapter 14 a, a bit of a definition of what's meant by those who are strong and those who are weak. It means those who are mature in faith and have a stronger understanding and conviction of truth. And those who are weaker are, are those who perhaps aren't quite as far along uh, in the disciple pathway. So... Paul is saying, we who are strong, so he as a, a mature disciple of the Lord Jesus with perhaps a richer revelation and understanding of doctrine and truth, are to bear with the failings uh, of the weak and not to please ourselves. And it's just to a real sense of accommodating each other. Verse 2, each of us should please his neighbour for his good and build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Each of us are to um, not please ourselves, but to please our neighbour. And by that, I think we're referring to our brother and sister serving alongside us in the Church of God. And it, it brings the, the whole book and instruction right down to the Church of God in Manchester. And we're thinking of ourselves and we're a collection of all sorts and we're at different levels of understanding and we're encouraged, each of us, wherever we might be, not to please ourselves but to consider our fellow brother and sister and to have an attitude that results in them feeling built up. And the, the real challenge to me is, to what extent 
do I, does my behaviour and my relationship with my brothers and sisters in the church in Manchester result in each of us, you, feeling built up, encouraged, advanced, more advanced in your spiritual experience and service alongside the rest of us in the church? And it's a two-way street. To what extent do I feel built up by the way you react to me? And we need to really go back to um, chapter 14 to get the, the practical application of that. But it's a sensitivity to where perhaps there is error or misunderstanding. It's not to be arrogant and brutal and say, you know, one day you'll learn... <laughs> Or you'll, you'll grow into it or something. But it's to have a real sensitivity that we're on this discipleship journey. And we need to listen to each other. And we need to encourage each other. Recognising, as Giles said, that um, the word of God is, is definitive. Uh, it's truth and there is only one truth. So it's not about acknowledging that every opinion counts. It's acknowledging that there are different opinions and that we can try and be sensitive to each other and encourage each other to that unity that is talked about in, in verse 5, which we'll come to in a, in a moment. And of course, the ultimate example of this is the person of the Lord Jesus. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. That's a whole study in itself, but... It makes me think of a decoy when the Lord Jesus said the insults that were targeted for you they fall on me because I've stepped in the way that's the ultimate expression of other centeredness and it's seen ultimately in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus I've said this before but it's a very precious truth to me that little statement in the narrative about Gethsemane where the Lord um, moves away from his disciples a stone's throw. It's a really curious thing and a stone's throw is the distance between the person being executed and the guy throwing the stones. That's the measure and the Lord just put himself in that place of execution. It's a beautiful thought and that's the ultimate expression of um, someone who, because of love and sensitivity and understanding God's purposes in that, in that context, um, is other-centred in their attitudes and behaviour and their thinking. And they put others first. It's a real challenge to my heart to think about the extent to which I do that in my own attitude. Second point is endurance. For endurance, read patience. Endurance, encouragement, encouragement from the scriptures um, is something that helps us in our disciple pathway. And there's a little bit of a nod here to the inspiration of scripture that I hadn't noticed before. It's verse 4. It says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. That's a direct reference to Old Testament scriptures. So that through endurance... And the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. If you were to say, um, 
And inspiration of scripture is a, is a big topic and there needs to be external evidence and also internal evidence um, that the Bible is, in, is the inspired word of God. But the verses that would drip off my tongue or come into my thinking when I'm thinking about verses in the Bible that make a statement about its um, claim to be the inspired word of God or 2 Timothy 3 and 16. It says, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good word or good work. And then the second one is 2 Peter 1 verse 20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And I'm adding to that Romans 15 verse 4, which talks about everything that was written in the past was written to teach us and that we are encouraged from Scripture. I think that's a, a really wonderful statement about the power of scripture it encourages us and wouldn't it be great if that tr that truth transformed our approach to reading the bible so i don't know how you feel i'm just being honest but sometimes you you kind of in fact i was sharing with someone the other day we were both going through the book of judges uh, separately and it was hard work especially towards the end you kind of think this is hard to to get something out of but the the message is that the scriptures are a source of encouragement and it's not it's not selective there's um, words of encouragement to be found uh, throughout scripture for everything was written in the past was written to teachers and um, through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope we'll talk about hope in a second Endurance is, um, you would be forgiven for thinking it means a bit of a, a drudge. <laughs> you know, you kind of keep on keeping on and it's hard, but you just do it. Actually, that's not the, the thought behind the word as I understand it. It's cheerful patience. Um, and it's almost like a sense of being glad to wait. <laughs> it's the complete opposite to impatience where you're angry and frustrated because you've got to wait and there is um, just this thought and we're talking about mature behavior and attitudes of mature disciples of the Lord Jesus there is a cheerful patience about what well about life about service about relationships uh, about um, living according to God's word about David was talking in his announcements about uh, and his closing prayer about the we're waiting for the Lord to return and we long for that to happen don't we and it's just done in this spirit of cheerful patience and it's accompanied by um, encouragement from the scriptures my mind went to James 1 and verse 2 consider it pure joy my brothers whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. That's the same word, endurance. Um, perseverance 
must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, uh, not lacking in anything. It's the link between cheerful patience, waiting for God's purposes to find their fulfilment, and um, what's the word gone? Um, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. So it's that, that link with maturity. So um, being cheerfully patient, if you like, is a characteristic of those who are maturing in their faith. Let's go to my third point, which is uh, closely related. It's God's providence and his expectation from the Church of God in Rome and it's our key verse in verse 5 and we could say that this is Paul's aspiration for the disciples in Rome I'm saying that it's the purpose the reason why he wrote the letter and I just think it's got so many precious words in it uh, I do believe it's a prayer may the God who gives endurance so endurance is uh, the source of our endurance our uh, cheerful patience is God and our encouragement um, who gives us endurance and encouragement and the encouragement we've learned is from his word give you a spirit of unity this is an aspiration we don't just all naturally agree it's part of our discipleship journey and because of our sensitivity that we've been thinking about towards each other having an other other centeredness about our attitude that develops unity among yourselves. Bear in mind that Paul was talking to people in the church who were not united. Um, spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. That gives me a lovely uh, picture of the disciples following in the same direction, following the same person, not going off in, in different directions. And isn't that, isn't that what the Lord wants? That's the real basis of unity it's following him and none other so that with one heart that's our motivation it's a the heart is the seat of our emotions it's about our love and we only do this because we love him and of course we love him because we appreciate he first loved us and as we said earlier um, with our mouth that's the voice of the church this is a collective thing we just enjoy, don't we, um, worshipping together, praying together, listening to a brother representing the church um, with his voice by what he says. And in our worship and in our praise, it's the church together with harmonious, we hope, voices, but certainly motivated out of what's going on in our hearts. And the objective or the result is that we might glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of the verses, one of several, that encourages us really to think about how we ought to address God if we're in a, a situation where the objective is, is nothing other than worship. And it's that, if you like, grandest title and we call him the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's aspiration for the Romans uh, was that they'd get over each other 
uh, resolve their differences, not by just you know accepting that all views are are correct, but by working them out together, being tolerant and patient with each other, and the result is that we can join together, glorifying God with the the highest context, acknowledging Him as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, nearly done, um, is about accepting each other. Um, verse seven, accept one another then. Remember, this is uh, people who were at odds with each other, driven by different Jewish traditions, non-Jewish um, culture and things. And Paul is saying, you know, whatever you are, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. There's the benchmark in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy as it is written. And then there are a number of uh, quotations. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns um, to your name. Um, these are a combination of quotations from the Psalms and from Isaiah. Again, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. I was trying to imagine myself as a, a Gentile who was in the church, I should say a non-Jew, in the church in Rome, feeling a little bit uh, somehow inferior because, you know, my brother there, he's has a, a Jewish origin and his, his um, kind of history is rich in terms of God's chosen people and all of that. And Paul is encouraging me from the word of God to show in the Old Testament how that God's love was to extend to the Gentiles and how that the opportunity to worship and praise God was to extend to the Gentiles. It kind of would encourage me and that's really what Paul was in the business of doing through God's word. Um, but it also underlines a point that this radical truth that occupied the first 11 chapters of, of Paul's um, letter has a scriptural basis and it's not it's not an odd scripture um, that he's building a doctrine it's it's kind of woven throughout the Old Testament and he's presenting it back um, as the basis for what he's saying so there's a living example of how a person in the Church of God in Rome would be encouraged as a consequence of the scriptures um, confirmation of course that what Paul was teaching was true um, I haven't got time for it now because our time is pretty much up but just something to think about and I'd love to get some feedback on this if you have a think about it and, and let me know what you think that last um, quotation from Isaiah um, I think it's from Isaiah 11 in verse 12 the root of Jesse will spring up one who will arise and rule over the nations the Gentiles will hope in him why not, why not the root of David? 
you know, Jesse was a nobody. <laughs> Jesse who? Um, of course, he was David's father. But um, all of the, the scriptures really point to David as being the one who was God's choice, the man after God's own heart. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't we trace um, the person of the Lord Jesus, his origin and his work, back to King David rather than back to Jesse? Just a question. Have a think about it and uh, let me know the outcome. We're on to our last one now. And it's probably the crowning verse of the, the whole section. It comes at the end, verse 13. It's a wonderful prayer, I believe, by which God responds to our trust in him by the provision of hope, peace, and power. This is one of those verses that it's lovely to see in its context, but it's also a standalone verse. I think we can take it out of context and just apply it as a wonderful promise um, or a prayer. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What a, what a beautiful collection of aspirations and promises. May the God of hope, a statement about God, we've been thinking of him as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that's in the context of us uh, praising and worshipping him. And now Paul has switched from that, and he's, He's the God of hope. It's another facet of the character of God. And it's not the hope of that wishful thinking. It's the hope of a certain fulfillment of promises. That's, that's what Christian hope is about. May the God of hope, that's his title, fill you with all joy. I don't know that I've ever been full of joy and peace. I think the, the filling with all applies to that as well. So someone who's full of joy and full of peace. And how does this come about? It's as a consequence, as you trust in him. And there, there is no better takeaway verse for us in our circumstances today, I think, in a, in a world on the brink of um, things to get worse every day. But we trust in him as the one who is bringing about his sovereign purposes in his own time. And as we trust in him, the consequence is that we enjoy um, the certainty of hope for us as, as disciples of the Lord Jesus and all of that brings. We're full of joy and we're full of peace so that you may, uh, and it gets even more amazing, overflow with hope not sure I've ever been full of hope. If I haven't been full of hope, I've certainly not overflowed with hope. But, you know, I, I, want, I want some of that. We're in a world that's so devastated, so hopeless. These, those who trust in God are promised that they will overflow with hope. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's an element of somehow strength and authority and it, it's not it's not kind of um, blind optimism uh, it's actually spirit empowered spirit led hope that is accompanied by joy and peace what a 
brilliant crowning verse. Shall we close in prayer?